Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host, Christian Morell. This is my co-host, Anthony Rivardo. And today we have a very special guest, Brad Kelly, who is a NFL draft analyst and a wide receiver expert. Brad, how's it going today? Absolutely. So we definitely want to get your take on the Giants pass catchers and maybe a little bit about college receivers. So, Anthony, you want to go ahead and start? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot for coming on. And so I just want to know what you think about Serling Shepard and his potential to be considered a number one wide receiver. Do you think he's there yet? Uh, I wouldn't say he's there yet. Um, I think you've seen in the past that he has the potential, and there's been a lot of games in his career where he's been probably the top receiver on the Giants, uh, especially when throughout the uh, throughout last year, the games where Beckham was hurt and everything like that currently operating as like their top guy but realistically he's more of the number two option i'd say behind evan evan ingram um i think the, the the thing that is really missing i guess it has been missing from the past is just more success along the boundary uh you know he's always been good from the slot but where he can where he can kind of round his game out if he can be a little bit more successful on the outside of the formation i think that's what's the the missing link between him and number one status so do you think it's realistic for him to become a number one at some point or maybe settle into being a solid two? I think that I think he fits in better as that solid number two guy. Uh, obviously, when you have a guy like Odell, Shepard, I think, operates great as a number two guy. Um, and even maybe he's your, maybe he's your number one receiver. Uh, but like I said, if he's your, a secondary option because you have a great tight end or you have a great pass catching running back or you have two great pass catching running backs, then I think that that fits as well. Right, and speaking of uh, production on the boundary, do you think Golden Tate has a lot to offer there, or do you think the Lions kind of used him at, you know, in the ways he was really best best used in Detroit? Uh, well, yeah, he's always been uh, he's always been better, I think, in the slot. Uh, part of it is he's not necessarily, uh, you know, he's kind of like the bowling ball type of type of build. Uh, not the greatest lateral athlete, but very powerful. He likes to go straight ahead. So when he's able to kind of build his speed up, I think that's when he's able. To, he becomes really dangerous, both as a pass catcher and with the ball in his hands. Uh, so it's easier to give him a little bit more space, kind of those natural spaces in the slot that you're gonna that you're gonna get from a defense, uh, and and use him that way. Now he can play on the outside. He has in the past. He did a, a pretty good amount when he was with Seattle, uh, but I think that's where his he's at his best is when he's in that that slot role, especially because you get the ball in his hands and, and let him go to work. So do you think that Golden Tate can fill that number one receiver position and allow Sterling Shepard to settle into that number two spot? You know, it's tough because I think they're probably equal right now. Um, and you have two guys who are pretty good pretty good receivers and a lot of good complimentary pieces, I think, uh, as far as the tight end and the running backs go. And I, It's kind of hard to say who's going to be the top guy that I haven't seen Golden Tate yet this year, obviously. Uh, but I think they're both kind of equal guys, and realistically, if you're, those are your top two. I think you're doing you're doing pretty good with the talent they have elsewhere. Right, and you speak of complementary pieces, and the Giants have added Darius Slayton to the receiving corps, and he's surprised me. He's done pretty good so far this season. So, what do you think of him? I was a big fan of Darius Slayton uh, coming out of the process last year. Actually, one of the first guys that I watched in last summer, uh, before his his last year at Auburn. Really good downfield guy, obviously super fast. Um, I've actually been in, in contact with Darius, you know, here and there uh, throughout the past year. Uh, I actually wrote a piece on him where 
I gave my analysis of each route. We kind of went back and forth of his of his route uh, with his route running. Uh, he's a very intelligent route runner. He's he's very smart. He understands defenses, and I think that's why he's able to win vertically uh, as, as often as he, he was able to in Auburn, and it's kind of how he's flashed early on with the Giants. I think that's going to continue. Uh, using that speed on the outside can really, really stretch the defense, can, can split those safeties, uh, and that's going to allow those slot guys in the tight end to operate in the middle of the field a lot better. So I think he fits well with, in, with his skill set for what the Giants need. And I think that he's a, he's a, pretty, I think he's a pretty good young player. I had him in my top 100. And he's also just a smart, like, good locker room presence as well. Oh, so you think he might have been a value in the draft then if he was cracking your top 100? Absolutely. Um, do you think he could really round out his game in the shorter intermediate area of the field? Or do you think he's already pretty good there but was just kind of used – you know, a certain way at Auburn. Yeah, he was used basically as a vertical guy in, a, in screens. Uh, so they were trying to take take advantage of his speed, and they were also trying to take advantage of Stidham's arm. Uh, they used Ryan Davis more as their intermediate, their short intermediate guy. He was a, you know, he was a little bit undersized, but he had quick feet. So they kind of complemented each other well and fit into their own, you know, parts of Auburn's offense and, and Malzahn's offense. I think that he is capable of doing more, uh, but I think, for the Giants, if he could be that deep threat, if he could take the top off, use his speed, uh, whether that be in a screen game or, or you know, on the outside and, and stretching the defense vertically, I think that's going to help the offense more than trying to force him to, to develop into a, you know, an in-break or, or a slot guy. And, you know, speaking of that speed, when they're lining up in two wide sets, do you think they would be in, in any sort of trouble putting uh, Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate out wide Basically, in a schematic sense for the defense, do you think the defense can kind of cheat if those are your two outside guys, or do you think they need Slayton out there? It's interesting. Uh, I don't think that they're they're going to hurt their offense if they do that. Um, I think Shepard and, and Tate, now, especially now that Shepard's been in the league a few years, are, are veteran enough that they're capable of pretty much being anywhere. Um, obviously, I think they're best in other in when they're inside, but I still think they're capable and you know of playing outside and and i think those two guys by now are just like savvy enough that they can you know they can pretty much align in any type of personnel whether that be two wide if they have four wide whatever it may be okay because one of my concerns and maybe you know maybe you have more to say on this is if teams really start playing some inside shade on those guys and try to you know really take away the underneath stuff and some of the quick stuff that's usually easier do you think do you think they have enough speed to really keep defenses out of that sort of situation? Well, if Danny Dimes is really Danny Dimes, then if you want to play hard inside, let's stretch the defense outside, right? <laughs> let's go vertical to the outside, take the outside release, and, and test them. Um, that's what typically is the answer. Um, I don't think Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard are lightning fast players, uh, and you could always mix it up with you always mix it up with motions. You can motion to stack the alignment. You can be bunched. You can spread Evan Ingram out if you want to. I mean, he's obviously capable of that. So I think just defend, depending on uh, formation, there could be instances where they're at a slight disadvantage. But I think overall, if you have a little bit of pre-snap creativity, then it shouldn't be too much of an issue. So you mentioned our boy Danny Dimes there, and obviously they need to build this offense around him. And one thing that we always saw with Eli early in his career is that he loved throwing to a big target. He obviously had Shockey early on, and then him and Plaxico Burris had a huge connection. Do you think that the Giants have the right type of pass catchers to complement Daniel Jones right now, or should they look to get a big, bulky receiver out there? Well, I think... 
I, I think they should constantly be looking to improve their pass catchers. I mean, that's not trying to knock who they have now, but I think you have to constantly, when you have a young quarterback, be looking for those pieces that kind of fit. Like you said with Eli, it was like that. It was that. It was the big body. I'm a Patriots fan. I know that's kind of like the enemy on this podcast, but <laughs> when they, with Tom with Tom Brady, it's not not necessarily the case. He was always a fan of the quicker guys who get open, and he can put it you know in a, in a tight window with because of speed and change of direction. So I think you have to constantly be looking at different types of skill sets who fit there, fit uh, you know your quarterback and who he likes. Even with Tony Romo with the Cowboys, he was a guy who didn't really like throwing to targets moving across the field. He liked throwing stop routes and comeback routes. He liked when guys were coming back towards him. And that's just kind of how, how he was, and that's why Jason Witten, you know, has survived so long with Romo. Uh, so I think just constantly looking for those, those different types of skill sets and seeing what fits. Looking at Daniel Jones in college, his probably his favorite target, one of his favorite targets was the tight end, Daniel Helm, uh, who was like a UDFA guy, talent, and two, he wasn't, you know, especially talented. Uh, but if that was the, one of his top guys, I think then that could be someone you look for. If you want to add another tight end to complement Ingram, it could be a good move. Yeah, and speaking about the uh, the talent level with the pass catchers, you've already said Shepard and Tate is basically an adequate one and two duo. But do you think Darius Slayton and Cody Latimer are a decent, uh, you know, three and four option? I think Slayton's definitely your. He could be a, a long term number three. Uh, you know, complimentary piece, especially because he definitely has that one, uh, that one like alpha skill set, that one, that one skill that's going to separate him and and allow him to have a role in pretty much any NFL offense. You know, he, he has that niche with his speed and his his ability to get vertical down the field. Uh, Latimer is interesting. I mean, he he's always kind of been like he's had some potential. He's never really produced, um, but the, I mean, he, there's been a game this year where he was like their top guy, and I thought thought he did fine. Um, I think that's a position though where you, they're probably going to look. You know, let's bring in a young guy, let him let him grow with Daniel Jones for the next you know four to five years, uh, and try to improve the receivers' core in the off season. Yeah. So you mentioned improving the receiving corps in the off season. So what do you think of the top receivers in the draft? Obviously, there's been a lot of buzz over Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Who's your favorite of the group right now? Well, this class is absolutely loaded, and I really think it's going to come down to each evaluator's, uh, you know, personal preference on the position. Uh, I love a lot of guys. I think Ruggs is my top guy right now. Um, he's just a guy who obviously has the speed to that separates himself athletically. Um, he's developed, I think, this season. You've seen it early on uh, with his route running. Uh, he's never going to be the Jerry Judy level of route run, I don't think. But with Ruggs he has a little bit more margin for error because he's a legitimate 4-2 guy. I think he's able, he's going to you know clock in at the high 4-2s. He's going to be one of the fastest 40s ever at the combine. So he's a little bit more margin for error when it comes to his route running, but he has developed in that area where he can win with route running technique, not just speed right now. And on top of that, I think he's winning through traffic a little bit more this year than he was uh, in certain situations last year. There were some cases last year where he could win while being contacted, but it was kind of few and far between. Now it's a little bit more consistent. So I think he's just kind of rounded out his game and now it's just the fact that he's just a better athlete than Judy. So you basically have Ruggs and Judy up top. Is there a guy that kind of comes between them for you, pushing Judy down to number three? Or do you might even have Judy lower than that at this point? Uh, no, I, those are my top those are my top two players in the draft right now, number one and number two. Um, and, and Chase Young will probably be up there in the top three and two will be up there as well. But 
I think the third receiver who could challenge them would be C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Um, a little bit better size, but he's a guy who is likely going to be in the low 4.5s, high 4.4s. And I don't mean to just look at the 40 time, but speed does matter in certain cases. And when you're looking at guys who are so skilled, like a Jerry Judy, if he can separate himself with a one-tenth faster 40, a little bit faster agilities, that's where it's going to come down to him being the higher pick. Um, and that's what's going to ground him getting the higher grade. Uh, but I think Lamb, great body control. I mean, he's, he's definitely a boundary receiver in the next le- at the next level. Uh, I threw the Tory Holt comparison out uh, yesterday, which is re- really aggressive. And I don't oh think it's like a one-to-one <laughs> comparison. I'm not saying he's going to be like the future Hall of Famer. But I think you see a lot of uh, of those like similar attributes that Holt had in C.D. Lamb. So, I mean, he's a first-round pick all day long. I just don't know, know if he's that like top three, top four player in the draft. Well, I've said, and I don't know if maybe you uh, maybe you think similarly. I've said I, I see a little bit of Hopkins when I watch Lamb. And, you know, once you give high praise, a lot of people don't really like that too much. But um, the Giants will probably go after receiver, like, maybe at the end of day two, but probably day three. So if you could think of, like, a maybe a sleeper, and I know it's super early, but what are kinds of names that they should be looking for, you know, third, fourth round that could come in and be an outside receiver? Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot. I mean, this class is so loaded. Uh that I think you're looking at like 25, 30, 35 guys. I think it's going to be over 30 drafted, but like 25 guys who could end up in a typical top 150. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just that loaded. I think there's a there's a lot of guys that I would like to mention right now. Devontae Smith from Alabama is like their number three, but he just had 270 yards and five touchdowns in the last game or something like that. Um, I like Reggie Roberson from SMU. Who's having a big year? He's a he's a vertical guy, built about about six one. Um, Courtney Davis from Texas A and M is was a banged up last year, but he's come on really really strong so far this year. Uh, he's got decent size to him as well, so I think those are probably three names I would definitely keep an eye on for like a mid round guy if if they were to uh, to declare some of those guys are underclassmen, but I think those like mid round guys you can put them inside outside, and I think they'd fit really well as a as like that number three guy, number four guy early on in their career. Awesome. Well, Brad, we really appreciate you coming on today to talk some receivers with us. It's some really valuable info. And um, so I see you're doing some uh, some like receiver profiles on Twitter and stuff, right? Yeah, so uh, basically, yeah, I'll put out film and, and like small sky reports and uh, eventually we'll get over to the articles uh, on the receivers. Uh, for the draft in the NFL, pretty much the entire timeline is dedicated to, to wide receiver play. It's, always, it's kind of always been. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate you having on, and you know maybe we'll catch up with you again some other time. All right, thanks. All right, everybody, that was Brad Kelly, who covers the draft and wide receiver expert. And Anthony, what did you think of what he had to say? I think he gave a lot of really insightful information, um, particularly towards the Giants' current offensive scheme. And it's very important to keep an eye on the draft because obviously the team is always looking to improve and always looking to add weapons. And he had a lot to say about the upcoming receiving class, which a lot of people do. So uh, it's good to see that a lot of excitement is generating towards the new group of guys coming in. We should really be hoping for the Giants to draft somebody in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, I, I was encouraged to hear that, you know, he at least thinks that Shepard and Golden Tate are an adequate duo, even though they might not be the most, you know, sexy duo out there. But, yeah, I mean, he didn't sound quite as optimistic about Cody Latimer, but that's quite all right. I mean, Cody is kind of in a stage in his career where he's trying to save it more than, you know, really become... I mean, I hope he tries to become a star, but at this point, just being employed a few more years in the league would be successful for him. Um, but yeah, what did, what did you think of what he had to say about Slayton? Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised to hear that he had Slayton so high on his draft board and very excited to hear that too, because I, that's one of the players that I didn't get to, to watch the tape on before the draft, but he's been very impressive so far this season and I guess we should have seen it coming, you know. Uh, Brad Kelly obviously saw it coming. Yeah, definitely. So we actually haven't gotten together here since Daniel Jones made his first start and really just continued to add promise to what he's already done. Um, what, do you, what do you want to say about him? I mean, it, he obviously looks special, but what, what do you like about him so far? So, yeah, we haven't been able to talk. It's been a little bit hectic lately. I've been doing a lot of traveling. Um, well, I was at that game, the Tampa Bay game, where Daniel Jones made his first start, and I got to say that's the best football game I've ever gone to in my life. It was really just insane. Uh, it felt like a home game. The crowd was just going crazy for Daniel Jones. And one of the things that I really loved seeing from Daniel is his play under pressure it was extraordinary um it's one of the things that i noted leading up to the draft when i was uh breaking down the film on some of the quarterbacks daniel jones always impressed me with his play under pressure and i'm really happy to see that translate into the pros yeah definitely it's it, it makes quite the difference when the quarterback is not actually afraid of getting hit and maybe that's something daniel needs to clean up a little bit but he stands in there so brave for like ever until it turns into a coverage sack or he can slip away but man he is just so daring in the pocket and it's it's a lot of fun to watch it's probably why they're converting more third downs since he's entered the lineup yeah don't get me wrong there's plenty that he needs to clean up um obviously it's actually another thing that i noted leaning into the draft was there were there's times where he's standing in the pocket for a while and He's looking calm, and but sometimes he looks too calm. He has no idea that the pass rush is coming, and he gets hit and fumbles. And we saw that in Tampa, and we saw it in the preseason. But we didn't see it against the Redskins, which is very good. We saw him instead convert that third and 13 with his legs. That was really impressive. I know that's made the rounds on Twitter. So uh, it's very good to see him progressing. And, yeah, that's the thing that he needs to work on, though, is just having a little more awareness in the pocket and making sure that he knows when he's about to get hit. Yeah, he needs to give just a little more of a shit about getting hit. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. But it's it's a night and day <laughs> difference between him and Eli because, man, Eli would have that ball out of there if the first or second read was, wasn't working out. And we saw Daniel hit Gallman for a touchdown pass on maybe what it was his third or fourth read, even though it seemed like it took yeah. forever in a day. Yeah, that was excellent to see from a rookie quarterback. He he looked left, wasn't there, kept looking, checked the middle, and then finally found his check down in the right. And yeah, we haven't seen Eli be able to stand in the pocket and wait that long for a receiver in a long time. And 
it, it is the reason that we're converting more third downs, like you said, because you look at that third and 13 rush by Daniel Jones where he spins out of the pocket and scrambles for the first down. Eli Manning could never do that in his entire career. So it, it's definitely making a difference. It's keeping defenses honest and it's providing more opportunities for uh, third down conversions. And I'm all for, you know, respect for Eli in general. But to all the people who were preaching the company line and saying, oh, Eli gives the team a better chance to win now. Man, what? where are those people at now? I wonder what I wonder what their hmm. excuse is. Because we saw this team absolutely light up as soon as Daniel entered the lineup. It's, it's unreal. Daniel's numbers, I mean, he's 49 of 71, 69... 69% completions, 578 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw the two picks last week, but he really didn't let it ruin him, and he went on to throw 23 of 31 for the day. That's only eight incompletions. So, I mean, in the, the 30 rushing yards, I mean, wasn't that crazy the way he just broke out of that sack and took off down the field? Yeah, it's a play we're not going to be able to stop talking about, and as you were saying about Eli Manning just a second ago, of course it's no disrespect to Eli, but you're right. He he was not the man to give us a better chance to win, and Daniel Jones is proving that more and more each week. And, you know, he threw those two interceptions against the Redskins, and they were they were pretty bad. I mean, he kind of just stared down his receiver and threw it into – he threw it right at the cornerback undercutting the route, but they're rookie mistakes, you know. And it's only his second start in the NFL. He's going to learn from it, and he seemed to have learned from it afterwards. He didn't make any more super risky throws. So, you know, he's a rookie. We just got to bear with him, and he'll be fine. Yeah, I have no doubt. I have no doubt about it. It's a lot to ask for a rookie quarterback to come out and even look functional. And, you know, I know – there's been some quarterbacks in recent history who've come out and looked pretty good right away, but it's really not normal. And for this kid to just come out and display the understanding he has of the game, I mean, it's he's not making, like, ridiculous decisions out there. I mean, the main thing is, like what you said, he needs more pocket awareness. But, I mean, the silver lining with that is that at least he's not afraid to get hit. Yeah, and... There's one thing we can we can play a little hypothetical here. Um, when when fans were really confident in Eli and they wanted him to play this whole season and let Daniel Jones sit and learn, it was a lot of media narrative driving people to think that Daniel Jones wasn't ready. The fact is Daniel Jones has been ready. He's been playing in a pro system for four years and he was ready for this moment. He's been learning, you know, a pro system and. When you look at Dwayne Haskins, obviously he came in and made his first appearance against the Giants. He did not look ready at all, and he hasn't been playing in a pro system for four years. He played one year in college, and obviously he lit it up. But that's the thing is Daniel Jones was ready, so Eli was not a necessity to have for the entire year. But say hypothetically we did draft Dwayne Haskins instead, then, yeah, I would say... Eli Manning's purpose was for the entire season. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, Eli would have played a lot longer if it was Haskins behind him. Yeah, I think the same. And week four brought a little bit of a uptick with defense. Um, you know, they really got torched in those first three games. They were 
really among the last in the league in every ranking. This last week kind of pulled them closer to the middle of the pack in all the defensive rankings. But I noticed Trey Quinn could have had two deep touchdowns where he was just uncovered running down the middle of the field. So, you know, if Keenum just played better, this defense really actually would have looked about the same, with the only real difference being DeAndre Baker getting a little more sticky in his coverage. Yeah, those two deep balls that Keenum missed, um, both times it was with Grant Haley in coverage. And I noticed that, and I was a little concerned. And he's one of the players that I was really high on coming into the season because he impressed me a lot last year. But it is a little concerning, again, to see Betcher's guys look a little lost out there. And I don't know if he was necessarily lost within the coverage or if he just got beat. And I don't know which one would be worse, honestly. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting beat that bad physically, then I guess not knowing is just as bad. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, they really got to figure this defense out. And they were really fortunate to run into Keenum last week. I mean, dude, that was a bad week even for Keenum. I mean, that that was just terrible. That was like Mitch Trubisky level. But <laughs> Trubisky, um, yeah. But if you're yeah, getting... I mean, the defense did play an excellent game, but those two uh, passes early on really could have changed the narrative of the game because. I mean, who knows what would have happened had they completed those passes. Oh, it would have looked just the same. I mean, just, you know, blown coverages down the field early in the game. Right. Um, But, you know, luckily, really the ball has bounced this team's way the last couple weeks. So the Minnesota Vikings will definitely be a tougher challenge because that defense is stacked from top to bottom. Uh, Kirk Cousins isn't looking so good but they still have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Uh, They're running the ball really well. Dalvin Cook, if not leading the league in rushing yards, damn close because he was the the rushing leader as of week three. So uh, do do you think they'll actually compete well against the Vikings? I do. I I actually am going to kind of share the unpopular opinion here and say that I think they have a really strong chance on Sunday. The Vikings are 0-2 on the road. Uh, Their offense has been really struggling, and it just seems like the perfect storm. As soon as our defense seems to start figuring things out, we go up against an offense that hasn't figured their stuff out yet. So I think it's really perfect timing, and I do think that the Giants have a good chance in this game. Well, anytime the quarterback isn't performing well, you have a chance, and they've really been trying to hide Kirk Cousins. It was either week one or two. He threw ten passes. It was unbelievable. And Adam Thielen even said this past weekend, you know, even their best running back isn't going to be getting 180 every week, and eventually you have to be able to hit the deep balls. And, you know, Cousins definitely had a time in his career when he was pretty decent, but it looks like the Vikings might have got swindled with that 80-something million guaranteed. What do you think? I mean, as soon as that contract was signed, I thought it was a mistake. Kirk Cousins was just, when he was on the Redskins, he always, to me, was just an average quarterback that can beat you, but he's not going to beat you. You know, he's you don't have to worry too much about Kirk Cousins. So when they gave him money like he was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, it was just obviously they were just filling a need that, you know, 
he, they were just filling a need with an average player because that's the best you can do in free agency, and they're obviously seeing why that is a terrible philosophy to go into free agency with now. Yeah, I think the Vikings thought they were a quarterback away, and I don't think they were wrong, but they ended up with Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's right. I don't know if that's exactly fixing your quarterback away problem, but maybe they're going to try to open it up a little more this week, especially since the Giants seem like a nice uh, get-on-track type of opponent. So, I mean, maybe they'll actually try to open it up, but they clearly haven't been wanting to throw the first three, you know, four weeks now, so I, I, I think you're right. I think we have a decent chance this week as long as they can really load up on Dalvin and Cook. But speaking of that, uh, no Ryan Connolly. So, mm. do you think uh, you think Josiah Toefa is going to play this weekend, or maybe even start, or do you think it's going to be David Mayo and oh god, Stupar? <laughs> yeah, Ryan Connolly, huge blow to the defense. Really sad to see him go down. One of my favorite players in the draft class, and. He was playing so good before he went down with that knee injury. So very disappointed to see him go and wishing him a quick and thorough recovery. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of David Mayo because he did fill in and play pretty good when he came in. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Betcher run a lot of money backer defenses because he, he mixed them in quite a bit against the Redskins. And now that we're, you know, missing even another player at linebacker, obviously with Connolly, Tay Davis, and Ogletree all dealing with injury, I think we're going to see Jabril Peppers drop down there quite a bit and maybe even Sean Chandler get some playing time. And I think we'll see um, Stupar probably get some snaps, oh. though we might be holding our breath when he's out there. Oh, God. Well, I like your money backer uh, suggestion in most weeks. But this Vikings team has been so run-heavy that you kind of need your big guys. And, you know, unfortunately, that means guys like Chandler and even Michael Thomas are probably going to be getting washed up in the box. So I think we're in a really tough spot because I think if it were even an average team, I would do the same thing you're talking about. I would put more Michael Thomas, Sean Chandler out there. But this team is going to run so much. They're even going to get... Alexander Madison, you know, five or six carries. So, I mean, it's, I don't know if I'd rather have Stupar out there or a better player like Michael Thomas, even though he would be way physically outmatched. Right. It is, in a way, how I was referring to the perfect storm for the Giants earlier. It's kind of the same thing for the Vikings in a different perspective because, they're struggling offense who's about to go up against a defense that's been lighting up a lot of big plays so it could be the game that sparks them and I would probably say if we're not going the money backer route because of the physicality then you do have to put out the real linebackers like like Nathan, uh, like Stupar and you just got to hope that you know they fill their gaps and try their best yeah I mean we know David Mayo is going to be a starter right. um, maybe they really like Josiah, and they just get him on the field. Uh, I think he's a really instinctive player. He seems like he's always in the right spots, kind of like Connolly. And he was really, he played really aggressive in college. He had 12 and a half sacks, and he had 22 and a half tackles for loss. So 
Josiah seems like a nasty little linebacker. Yeah, he's just the player to fit into James Betcher's defense. Aggressive, um, great pass rusher. That's exactly what James Betcher likes to see from all of his players. And, you know, this this conversation of the linebacker really opens up a, a much larger conversation about what the Giants need to prioritize this offseason because obviously we started off all saying we need to get a pass rusher, we need to get a pass rusher, but the pass rush has actually surprisingly been pretty good so far, and the secondary has been the worst of it. But now with just so many injuries popping up at linebacker, maybe the Giants do have to shift their focus there in the in the offseason. I think if they could afford it, they need four new starting linebackers across the board. Uh, Marcus Golden has been a nice success story so far, but probably not a guy you want to pencil in for 2020. Uh, as a rotational guy, absolutely. I would love for him to be back, but you know, to just go ahead and say that's our starter in 2020, that'd probably be a little, it'd probably be a little risky. Um, Renzo Carter, he's had some moments, but I he looks more like a reserve to me also. Maybe O'Shane Zimenez becomes, you know, a, a locked-in starter, but that would probably mean he gets another, like, seven sacks this year. So, man, I, I, I agree. I think inside linebacker is the bigger need, but I think they go ahead and get a new starter all the way across there. Yeah, and I'll touch on those players that you just mentioned. Marcus Golden, I do see as a great rotational piece for the future. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, I'm honestly starting to lose faith in him. He's really not progressed the way that I'd like, I would have hoped he would. And O'Shane Zimenez, I think he does have the best chance to be a starting pass rusher on this team because not only is he, you know, he's got the two sacks so far and he's been generating a good bit of pressure, but also his his IQ is just really high. I, you know, I, I can't even count how many times I've seen him bat a pass at the line of scrimmage or, you know, get in the way of a passing lane. He's a really intelligent player, and those are the kind of things that will give him longevity in the long in the long run over Lorenzo Carter. Oh yeah, yeah, he knows how to play for sure. Um, yeah, and the inside linebackers we have are, you know, Alec Ogletree, who's probably not even likely to be back. Uh, they'll hope that Ryan Connolly will be ready in September next year, but might not be. Um, mm. He's probably best considered a third inside linebacker anyway. So, I mean, he's he's a, he's fine as a second linebacker, so even if you want to pencil him in there. But, yeah, the thing I keep going back to with Carter is in four college seasons, he didn't develop a pass-rushing repertoire at all, and... Like, to me, that just says he had other things he was interested in. I mean, he could have learned that in four years, and now he's still not. So, yeah, that's that's pretty tough. I I don't see how you could consider him a, a starter going forward unless you put him in the middle in pass coverage situations. Yeah, and maybe this is a bit of recency bias, but 
you were saying you would pencil or you would pen in Ryan Connolly as a third linebacker, pencil him in as a second. I'd be willing to pencil him in as a number one starting linebacker because he was playing that good before his injury. And now, obviously, with the injury, we can't guarantee that he's going to make a full recovery. So, yeah, obviously can't can't pencil him in there anymore. But I do think that he had had the potential to be a number one starting linebacker. And I really hope that he's able to fully recover from this injury because I still think that if he does, he will be able to be the starting linebacker on the team. And finally, we can move on from Alec Oliltree. Yeah, I mean, I think he certainly has the potential to be that. I would, I just mean, like, if you're playing it safe, you know, you're kind of... That's where I would kind of... Because, I mean, I think Connolly does have the potential, you know, to be that number one linebacker. Mm-hmm. But just kind of uh, playing it safe, I'd rather consider him a two or a three. Really, I mean, really a pleasant surprise coming out of the fifth round. Um, yeah. A lot of people really preferred that other linebacker there from Alabama, uh, Mac. Mm-hmm, uh, Mac what, Wilson. What, Mac. Uh, Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson, yeah. Um, so, good call by Gettleman there. Just got to hope he heals up. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think they have much on the shelf at inside linebacker at all. I mean, dare I say, if they were going to make a playoff run, Connolly was probably pretty important to that. Yep. Uh, most definitely, and we all have our reservations about Alec Ogletree, and who even knows when he'll be back, but, you know, I do think they need to be looking to replace him as soon as possible. And the other thing I wanted to say about Zimenez, um, he has two sacks. Uh, two of those are half sacks, so he's actually gotten home against the quarterback three times in four games. So, mm. you know, that's even better. I mean, this... This kid's looking like a gem, and I, I mentioned it on Twitter once already. Uh, Odell for Dexter Lawrence, O'Shane Zimenez, and Jabril Peppers. All three of those defenders have been absolutely key in these two wins the last two weeks. Yeah, um, I <laughs> the Odell debate is a really hot topic, and I think we still have to give it a little more time before we really make a decision obviously but Dexter Lawrence is the key player in that um in that discussion to me because you know when when he was first drafted a lot of fans were upset because they thought he was a two down defensive tackle and a run stuffer but he's a lot more than that he's really a great pass rusher from the interior and that's what's really important and what what can make the difference in picking a winner in this um in this trade yeah and um there would have been overtime in the Giants Bucks game if he didn't deflect that uh, extra point. So right. he's really made his presence felt. And yeah, we definitely can't have a final answer right now. But you know, at the moment, the the arrow is really pointing up as far as you know the way that trade benefited the team. Um. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to get to, Anthony? Um. Yeah, I just want to uh, briefly touch on the event that I went to this weekend. Um, I was able to go up to New York this weekend and uh, go to Tom Coughlin's charity event. The J Fund was holding its annual Champions for Children Gala, and it was an excellent event put on by Tom Coughlin and his team um, fighting, you know, 
fighting for the less fortunate um, children with cancer, and that's a really important cause. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go over to the J Fund's website and read about it and see all the great things that they're doing. And if it inspires you to uh, donate and help make a change, that would be excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'd also like to make another little shout out while we're at it. Um, we'll definitely get to what happened at that event. But, you know, as far as, you know, great charity work, Make-A-Wish is another great one. Um, they actually just sent my five-year-old sister to Disneyland for a week because she uh, suffers from leukemia. And But, you know, that that's, that's great work that, you know, both Make-A-Wish and Tom Coughlin do and plenty of other giants. I mean, Eli... Eli spends a lot of time, you know, with children who suffer from cancer as well. Um, yes, that's always that's always great stuff to donate to. But Anthony, uh, what kind of did you get to talk to some players at all? Or yeah, I did. I was able to talk to a few. Um, Justin Tuck being the one that I was um, most proud with because that interview went great. Uh, obviously, this was my first event. Uh, as a member of the press so it was a little shaky and I, I, I got some things that I can improve on but my conversation with Justin Tuck went great obviously he is a um, he's a member of the J Funds Hall of Fame for the work that he's done fighting for the less fortunate and he um, he spoke about that and he was really proud of the guys that were being inducted that night Pat Shermer being one of them and I also got to talk to him about football a little bit. Uh, I asked him what he thought of Dexter Lawrence, and he had really great things to say. He was very impressed with the rookie. He said he had to have a talk with him because there's a few things he's got to clean up. <laughs> but he said he really thinks he's got the potential to be one of the top players at his position, and I agree with him. Awesome. Um, did you did you uh, talk to him about anything else or anyone else? I talked to... Nate sold her a bit about the event, and he was, of course, excited to be there and to help bring awareness to the same causes. Awesome. Well, it sounds like he had fun. Yeah, it was a great time, and shout-out to Empire Sports Media for giving me the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the only time I ever met Tom Coughlin and my grandmother was yelling at him for players ignoring us. So, <laughs> Right, I I've remember never, that story. Never really had a nice lax occasion where I got to see how he's doing but that's pretty awesome man yeah man it was a great time well that probably wraps it up for today um it was really nice having Brad Kelly come and talk about receivers and you know some of the receivers in college right now who are going to be drafted in April and we have a tough matchup coming up in week five it's probably probably the second best team that they're going up against so it'll definitely be a good one make sure you go to empiresportsmedia.com to check out some new york sports news and daily content and anthony is there anything else you want to let everyone know about yeah i just want to let you guys know that best place to get in touch with us and to interact and talk football is twitter so give us a follow christian is at c nfl and I'm at Anthony underscore Rivardo. So give us a follow. That's where we post all our articles, and we love to talk football with you guys. So just hit us up, give us a follow, and we'll talk. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out anytime. 
and we'll talk to you guys again next week. So until then, enjoy the game and take care.